Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. In this first episode of the show, with the guest present, I spoke to my friend Natalie Costa, performance coach and author, and founder of Power Thoughts, about how we support our children's emotional well-being, how we can support them to build greater confidence and resilience by noticing their inner critic and also sitting with their big feelings. And we end the show by thinking about how we can support their return back to school in September after the COVID-19 crisis. I hope you will enjoy this show where Natalie also bravely shares any struggles she's had around finding pause, purpose and play. So on with the show. And today I'm really happy to introduce Natalie Costa. Natalie is an award-winning coach, author and founder of Power Thoughts which is a teaching and coaching service designed to give children the power over their own thoughts. With a background in psychology and having spent 12 years within the educational sector, as well as becoming an accredited performance coach, Power Thoughts was born, which blends her past experience and deep understanding of children and their needs, now providing them with the tools to help them cope and thrive in the modern world. Natalie has also been featured in the national press and TV, such as BBC Breakfast, The Sunday Times, The Telegraph and Good Morning Britain. She has also co-authored two books called Find Your Power and Stretch Your Confidence. Her intention is always to be focused on helping one child at a time to be as happy as they can be. And I'm very pleased to welcome Natalie onto the show, the Pause Purpose Play podcast. Welcome. Thanks so much, my darling. I'm so glad to be here. I'm very glad that you're here because it feels like a good first episode to record as we're finding our way with this and just playing around with it and trying to practice what we preach of tolerating some imperfections (laughs) and making mistakes. So we'll just have a nice chat. As this is a new podcast, obviously the guests are, uh, listeners are getting familiar with how I ask guests and I focus on how pause, purpose and play comes into the lives of my guests and into the people's lives that they serve. But not just how you've managed to do these things, but also where you might have struggled with it. So there will be a little bit of storytelling and a little bit of imperfection and sharing some vulnerabilities, but also looking at how we can turn those opportunities for learning into into strengths, things Mm -hmm. that we've managed to move forward with. So that will run through our conversation. So I've asked Natalie to think about these three things, the pause, the purpose and the play. Yeah. So having known you for a little while now, we're still quite new friends. I obviously noticed that you're a high striving person like me. (laughs) <laughs> so so yeah there's no surprise that we you know it takes one to know one. yeah we're like, we get on well with that so I wanted to think together Natalie of how do you switch off how do you rest and find recovery how do you give yourself the permission to pause or if you would struggle with this you know what kind of gets in the way of giving yourself a break mm, good question you know what and it really is so funny because um I told myself I'm going to give myself Monday and Tuesday off just this week on. And I really struggled. I really struggled to switch off. Um, my mind is always busy. It's busy with new ideas. Sometimes it's busy worrying about the future because I always talk about this as well. You know, I really do sometimes have like I just struggle a little bit to just stop and just be. Mm. 
but I mean, I have, I'm very aware of that. And I obviously know the implications of not being able to implement and bring in rest, you know, what it can, you know, what it can lead to. So what I have tried, or should I say not try, because I don't like that word, because I'm actively doing it. But um, I mean, meditation for me is really important. And I'm quite strict on that, doing that in the mornings, I do find I get up quite early, because I'm naturally an early bird, like an early riser. So even though I don't feel like it, I, I do notice the difference that that makes, even if it's just 10 minutes in the morning. I've actually also for the last probably about three weeks actively started to journal as well alongside the meditation for just another 10 minutes. And I find that that's quite a great way to kind of do a big brain dump. But one thing that I've taken a lot of pleasure in recently is actually bringing some art and creativity into my day. So I used to be quite a big like art fanatic when I was back at school in my A-levels. I did two A-level subjects in art and creativity, you know, well, art. So I actually recently purchased a paint-by-numbers kit, which I'm absolutely loving. Um, I wanted to take away the pressure of creating my own designs because I knew that that would just become another project in itself. So I thought, well, if the design is drawn for me, I just have to put in the paint. That's like an easy way to switch off. So that's probably something that I do. And obviously exercise is also really important to me. So those are the ways that I kind of switch off but in in touching on the last two days that I took off there I really struggled because I had all this space and time and I didn't quite know what to do with it and I could feel myself actually feeling quite guilty as well I was like oh but I should be doing something Mm. Um, and even if I'm watching some fluffy movie on Netflix I'm still tempted to go on my phone and post something for work or check my emails so I think where I really struggle is just that cut off time and not being so addicted to my phone and not looking at the emails because it definitely is like that little dopamine hit you know of um, seeing if there's something there and also you know posting things always thinking oh I should be doing this I should be doing that so whilst I've got a few things in place I know there is a big room for improvement and I could find myself getting quite frustrated because I just couldn't seem to switch off and get the rest that I was craving to do, if that makes sense. And I was having a chat with a friend yesterday about just being able to be still and to be patient and to just really be in the moment, which is so, which I do find really, really difficult to, difficult to apply. So it's, mm. I'm still on a journey with that. <laughs> and aren't we all? I guess we're always yeah. on that journey because it's not one of those things that you just finish and tick off and now I know how to rest. It's, mm. I guess your story is really telling there of how we mix and match between switching off in a kind of pausing way where you might come into stillness, use some meditation, uh, and where sometimes we need to pause with something playful that's more active, mm. engaging, like taken out a paint by numbers kit which I'm all for I think I love that no pressure message that you have running through all of your posts as well that it's you know we can take that pressure off and it's not about creating you know a a final result like an amazing art piece it's about the process of engaging in it sitting Mm. still for a few moments and you know some of us are more into doodling and that's a nice way for us to switch off and some of us can sit still yeah so I think it's great that we have a range of these things and 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 absolutely that we keep practicing this and there will be times when you probably meditate more and times when you meditate less mm. what have you noticed as a theme of what, what kind of gets in the way when at what periods of your life might you do less of this pausing this permission to be still 
Um, I think I am a natural doer. I like to get things done. So I think perhaps in, and obviously when running your own business, you know, you've got times when things are really vibrant, but then there are times when perhaps they're not that vibrant. And for me, learning that actually that is okay, it doesn't mean everything's going to fall flat on its face and mm. everything's going to dry up. Um, I mean, I'm only three years into running my business. So I appreciate it. I'm still quite new to the self. I mean, not, not overly new, but it's still... I'm starting to kind of see themes and seasons within the business and I guess still some of suffering a little bit from the whole being employed hangover of the, um, I suppose, being more comfortable with the unknown because you can plan to a certain extent, but very often, you know, as I'm sure like you can experience as well when you're running your own business, it's like there is there's some un- there's a lot more unknown as well, you know, versus getting paid a salary every month like I did as a teacher and you knew exactly what was going to happen and those sort of things. So it definitely is more of a me- it's it's a mental shift for me. So I think it's it's learning to relax in those moments. Not not saying I just sit back and I don't do anything, but it's learning to just okay, you know, it's been a very vibrant few months since lockdown. It's okay if things are a little bit quieter at the moment, you know, or like it's the summer holidays, what's coming up to Christmas, those sort of things. And um, even if you just kind of look at nature, nothing kind of blooms all year long, you know, there are different Mm. seasons. And it's just being okay in that space of when things are maybe a little bit more unknown, not unknown, I was just when there's maybe just a little bit more space, because Mm. I'm quite used to it being full on and a lot going on. And I mean, if I think about it, I've always, it's still something I'm unlearning. So it's actually getting comfortable with having more space. And I think unlearning that story that I still sometimes hold on to of, it has to be hard work to be successful, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And rewriting that. So, which feels really unfamiliar. And it's just like, oh, but this can be easy oh, you know, and I'm not saying it's always easy. Absolutely not. I mean, look at me two weeks ago in an absolute meltdown when, you know, none of my systems wanted to work, but it doesn't have to be like that every day. And I think it's, it's more me becoming familiar with that feeling that it doesn't have to be this grind, you know, which I'm getting better at doing, but it is just that whole dance of being still and not then trying to fill it up with all sorts of things. Absolutely. There is a, a real dance to the sort of being in stillness and then mm. shifting into action. And I think you point into a very common theme there for a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, uh, and especially maybe female entrepreneurs that I often work with is that sense of how can I create a life that is purposeful for myself, meaningful, without it having to be about the hustle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like giving yourself the permission to to work in a slower pace and to to have shorter hours in the day or fewer days in the week because that's one of the beauties of entrepreneurial endeavors isn't it that Mm. we can create uh, the life that we want to have and I think we still get caught up in that productivity mindset that you're describing that that employment often has given us and things like you know being in a teaching setting you know being in the NHS whereas my which is my background before I shifted into fully working for myself I think we have a lot in common there where there is so much pressure on hitting targets how have you reflected on that as an entrepreneur thinking about running your own business and having the freedom really to to make it purposeful 
Yeah, I mean, definitely I can relate like the targets and stuff. If I think of the teaching world, you've got to like hit your targets all the time and you know, who's made the next levels and so forth. I can be very conscientious. I do like detail to a point, but I'm definitely not somebody who's driven by spreadsheets and that sort of thing. You know, I think, um, I mean, with my business, it happened quite organically, I must say. Um, and I guess um, my friend, you know, a mentor, Lucy Sheridan, that often talks about following the breadcrumbs. So follow, like do that, which kind of lights you up without sounding, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy when I say that, but it's like, oh, that, you know, like a sense of curiosity. Oh, this feels really good. Oh, I really quite enjoy this. You know, this, this kind of feels really fulfilling and that kind of leads on to the next opportunity and the next opportunity. So I think organically things have just kind of worked out, but I've never been somebody that could give a very clear answer in terms of what's my five-year plan and know it to the detail is a lot more mm -hmm. short-term because I've tried so many things in the past that I thought yes I absolutely want this to do I want to do it this way and then after a few you know after some time I'm like actually this doesn't sit right anymore I want to do it differently so I think but it is about I think just having an idea that I had initially say with power thoughts which was I want to deliver a 10-week program in schools and I had some head teachers that I knew so it was about taking that action but then slowly from that other things started to appear yeah I don't know if I've gone off topic now from what your, what your question not was. at all I think it's a really beautiful way of leaning into that purpose and following those breadcrumbs like Lucy Sheridan says I think it's a it's a great way of organically letting things emerge because mm. you mean you've touched upon it already that we have cycles in our or seasons in our productivity you know in the year that we go through but also within our own cycles that we will have up phases where we are creating where there's a sort of powerful innovation that can come out of this mm. and then there will be times where we're more reflective and more you know turning inwards finding more wisdom of what works what didn't work how do we learn from this experience what did I enjoy and I think that's beautiful of how you've let power thoughts grow and uh, and adapt to the different things and opportunities that come which I think is a great example of of entrepreneurship mm, right there of, of following the demand following your customer journey following what they want and I guess now that we kind of talked a little bit about pause and purpose for you, uh, we're going to get to the play as well because that's always my favorite <laughs> bit. But how do you think about teaching this this pausing to kids then? Because if we as adults really struggle with this, we are so digitally distracted. We have so much on our to do list, and most of the listeners will will feel quite busy and frazzled and have that busy mind that you just described. How do we teach that to the next generation to? give them the permission to pause and switch off mm. what do you do to teach them that well yeah I mean a big part of why I sometimes struggle to pause is because it's listening to that narrative in my head about oh I don't know I should be doing this I should be doing that and I think kind of being driven sometimes by the inner critic who my inner critics kind of got this boot camp military instructor voice you know saying come on give me 10 more you know that sort of thing that that's that's my narrative and I think first of all you know helping children to become aware of their internal dialogue and the stories that they tell themselves is one of the things that I look at for, you know that we explore during sessions and workshops with children but I think also bringing them attuned and making them aware of being in their body because we're so often stuck again in our mind and the stories we tell ourselves that we're not actually aware of 
physiological feelings within our body, you know, talking about, if I just speak about, you know, clients conversation I had earlier today about where do we notice the feelings in our body, you know, when we feel happy, excited, calm, angry, nervous, worried. And obviously there are a lot of the mindfulness exercises come into play as well. And helping children to become curious about their environment, because yes, just like we as adults are stuck to our digital devices, children are too. In actual fact, they're growing up on a diet of being on digital devices, Mm -hmm. which in one way is brilliant because there are so many opportunities that are available because of technology today. But it's also about allowing children to just kind of come back to the basics of being in nature, for example you know, teaching them these mindfulness exercises that we, you know, me as an adult, I only discovered this as an adult, you know, but I'm thinking if children can get to learn these as a, as a habit and implement, you know, the breathing tools or mindful walking or kind of like relaxation exercises themselves from a younger age, I mean, that just sets them up for so much more moving forward when they've got this instilled in them as a daily habit and a daily practice versus say me, you know, in my mid thirties, who's now trying to implement these tools and learning these new habits. Well, better late than never. You can mm. still teach old dogs. Yes. Say, as they say, so <laughs> yeah. no, no offense. Yeah, but, absolutely. But I think you're right as of starting fresh with the next generation where providing with that the emotional scaffolding that our generation just didn't receive and even less so the generation uh, ahead of us. So yeah. our parent generation. And it's, Something that fascinates me with with your work, Natalie, having signed up to you know a couple of your courses and I sat down to do it with my three and a half year old, <laughs> bless him, which obviously they're designed for a six years and up, I believe. So yeah. obviously he was a little bit too young, but he still liked some of the concepts that we could apl- adapt to his age. Mm-hmm. And what really struck me from looking at that is that so much of this, the power of your programs isn't just what the kids t- can take away, but also that their parents are learning alongside them, mm-hmm. that they can learn to scaffold themselves up and understand the change uh, that they can make to their own language, how they describe feelings. And I, I know that you often talk about sort of the big feelings and and that, you know, feelings are just feelings, they're just information, mm-hmm. they're nothing that's either good or bad. Yeah. And that can be really difficult um, for adults as well, that women who come to my clinic, they often feel ashamed about feeling angry. So I guess coming to that pause, coming to be more mindful of what's going on in your body, what's mm-hmm. going on in your mind, and what's going on emotionally for you, I guess that's part of the noticing, stopping to come to stillness, and a lot of kids, obviously younger kids, don't sit still. Yeah. So we're not, you know, we're not painting the picture no. of like, uh, you know, a, a calm, meditating little dog here. It's more of an active noticing. So how do you do that in a sort of playful way? How do you help kids do mindfulness? I first of all have to say I'm not a mindfulness-based teacher. So what I deliver are coaching tools and coaching, you know, Mm. it's coaching. So there is elements of mindfulness, but I'm by no means a mindfulness practitioner. You know, we touch on little bits of it. You know, certain ways we do it is about, first of all, exploring where do we feel the feelings in our body and getting children to draw or color in on you know sheets or packs you know where do they notice their big feelings or labeling each other about where they might notice it describing it you know does it feel heavy does it feel light if I had to give it a color what color would I give it you know and helping them first of all to begin to make that connection and I think you know other elements that we look at in terms of 
mindfulness is as well looking at the power of breath, you know, and breath work is so important when it comes mm-hmm. to self-soothing and um, lowering that stress response and that fight or flight response and kind of bringing us back to that state of calm. So it's about teaching them different breath exercises, whether that is the deep belly breaths or the take five breathing that we also do or even blowing bubbles. So what's the take five breathing? Because that sounds really interesting. Uh, yeah. So that is when you hold out one part, you, you know, a palm of your hand and then with the other finger, you literally just trace up. So you, as you trace up your thumb, you breathe in and as you trace back down, you breathe out and then, you know, tracing around your palm of your hand in that way and helping, you know, as you trace up, you breathe in and as you go back down, you breathe out and helping them to kind of, I mean, that's a great exercise. Yes. Really tangible. Yeah. It's tangible. It's tactile, which is also good because it all, you know, takes some out of their head into their body it's something they can do Um, because sometimes I find little children struggle with that just the deep belly breathing you know that's quite that can be a bit of a challenge sometimes for them whereas a take five is there's something I'm doing here with my hand and it's also something I can take with me obviously wherever I go so you know even simple things like bubble breathing you know let's see how long we can blow out for when we you know we take a deep breath in we fill our belly with air and then we slowly breathe out and see how long you know, how, how, how far can we go in terms of that out breath or, or a few strategies, obviously, when it comes to just pausing and the, you know, the power of the breath work and just kind of as a tell children puts you back in that space of power, because just because we feel our feelings doesn't mean they're good or bad, um, because it's just information, as we've said, and we can notice them. And sometimes some feelings feel uncomfortable, but just like we've got some of those feelings that do feel a little bit uncomfortable, we also know that they come and go just like the weather. So, you know, another exercise there is creating an internal weather report and even getting children to draw or color pictures of what their internal weather feels like on maybe a daily basis, morning, afternoon and evening so that they can start to see that my feelings come and go. And then there are certain things that I can start to do to self-soothe, to put me back in that space of power. You know, children are like, oh, I want to be in charge. No, I want to be in power. I don't want to give all my power away to my feelings. I want to be in control. So it's just about, you know, what can, you know, it's okay to feel the anger, what information is that giving us? Let's draw a character, let's label it, let's name it. But now what can we do to help us with that anger? What's going to make that, you know, what's going to help us with that feeling rather than say, for example, you know, punch my brother in the face or, you know, all these kind of things that, you know, children, children do. You know, there are some things that I could do to help me feel a bit better or to self-soothe. And I really love that because it's not promoting calm as the only mm. way to be and I think there's, there can be a risk of that when sort of positive parenting or conscious parenting or nurturing parenting is taken to a fundamentalist uh, extreme in a way that has never been designed to be which means that you as a parent have to be calm at all times yeah. you must never lose your cool you must never react or raise your voice and actually I think this really powerful and I, I love the, that it's called power thoughts I think it's really powerful to show our children that we are human too mm. and that when we lose our cool or when we get angry or irritated because children are very good at provoking yeah. our adults they know which <laughs> buttons to push that's part of the fun and knowing that they're not doing that to manipulate on purpose mm. there's just there's so much going on for children that is through no fault of their own really difficult to manage yeah. and I love how you speak about that overwhelming feeling that we can have of stormy weather inside us Mm. to the point of that's that's the language I use with my son that when one of us 
loses our cool, you know, we've got a broad range of emotions, both of us. When one of us sort of feels that we lose our temper, you know, we talk about afterwards that I had a storm inside me. Mm-hmm. The storm has passed now. And, you know, it, and that can feel very strong everywhere in your body. Mm. You know, that I, I love that stormy weather analogy because it sort of normalizes it. It's, yeah. All of it is just weather. All yeah. of it is just information. And I can see why it's so purposeful for you to call your company Power yeah. Thoughts <laughs> by Natalie. It's just sort of one of those breadcrumbs emerging again, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously it's quite clear that you found your purpose and passion in that sense. How do we help children to do that? How do we help them create meaning for themselves and and you know that good old phrase of what do you want to be when you grow up it doesn't quite cut it does it and how do we talk to children about that of what path they want to go on to without putting our own pressures or expectations or hopes uh, onto them how do we help them thrive and grow and find their purpose Mm -hmm. I think again it's that you know what um what lights you up so what is it that you enjoy doing and kind of like exploring that's becoming curious with things that they they like to do and you know what what are they perhaps they're not you know their interests and following that without kind of perhaps even sometimes I'd say put a label on it or put them into like this particular box. I mean, when it comes to the, and I mean, I I really dislike that question of what do you want to be when you grow up? Because Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, that will change every 10 days or so, depending on like what age child you're talking to. I mean, I mean, given, you know, there are some children that And I can even think back to when I was a child, there were some kids that just knew what they were going to be and they've gone out to be that. And I feel definitely, you know, we have, some of us are like that, but I think, golly, even into my twenties, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up and I was technically, you know, already an adult then. Well, I don't know, questionably, but um, (laughs) I think one of the things, you know, I think is first of all, you know, going with what what interests you, the curiosity, what what brings you joy, what brings you fulfillment, but also asking perhaps the question, you know, what problems do you want to solve? What do you want to help solve in the world? You know, that's sometimes a question I ask the, the older children. And it's quite interesting then to see what comes up from that. But I think we do... And I'm sure, you know, if your listeners are listening to this, they'd already, you know, appreciate that it's it's it can be easy that sometimes we want to... And obviously, I mean, this is a whole different debate in itself, but it is about recognizing that, you know, children are their own little human beings. And it's it's sometimes, I know just obviously maybe it's generational, but sometimes it could be, if I think of when I grew up, you know, it might be your parents want you to be the doctor, the lawyer, the this, the that, but actually you want to be the artist or you want to be the photographer. And I think it's just, it's about, exploring that that lights your child up and allowing them to explore that and I think also providing as many different opportunities for children to have a taste of what is out there I think is also really important so there's something about bringing that curiosity Mm. not just fostering it in your child but also fostering it in the in the adult to sort of to watch and wait and wonder what what the child is going to do and what's going to tickle their fancy Mm. I think that's a very helpful reminder to listeners who might might struggle to step back from their own expectation that might they might have carried with them from their parents, you know, mm. how these kind of past patterns of well, how we've been parented ourselves and what we think is a kind of a quote unquote good enough profession and interests. And that can be really difficult mm-hmm. to do that as, uh, without shaping your child unknowingly. And I think that's where, you know, everything you're speaking about applies so much to the adult parent as well of, of understanding to 
step back from your emotions, noticing what thoughts mm. or narratives or stories you're telling yourself and how you can be that best supporter for your child because they will have so many times where they will falter, where they will doubt themselves, yeah. where they will meet that inner critic that you mentioned. And I know you sort of sometimes call it the um, the unwelcome visitor yeah. to love. <laughs> it's, it sort of just pops in, doesn't yeah. it? It's a really nice way of describing negative automatic thoughts that pop into our mind. Mm. It's an unwelcome visitor. So how do we support our children and developing more confidence, especially for those listeners who may struggle with their own confidence and their own self-belief? I mean, this is a million dollar question, mm. so I'm not expecting you to have the full answer, <laughs> but maybe just for us to muse on it. Like, how do we how do we support them to have something that we haven't got? Yeah, I think, and again, there you've touched on it there. I think it's very much about us as you know adults as parents working on that as well alongside with our children so even as a starting point you know I get parents to begin to recognize when their unwelcome visitor pops up what it says how it makes them feel are there perhaps particular occasions um, or situations that it pops up because as I tell the children you know we might not notice it all the time but maybe you notice it when you're in a certain lesson like maths or PE but you don't notice it when you're out on the playground with your friends or it could be the other way around maybe you notice it on the playground because you're really scared to make new friends but you don't notice it when you're doing maths you know so it's about just beginning to have that in a way Awareness and curiosity about when these negative, unhelpful stories pop up. And these are the thoughts that make us feel mad, sad, worried, or upset. Um, and equally as parents, you know, doing these exercises as well. But then starting to kind of reframe and challenge those thoughts that we have because as I tell children just because we think a thought and many of our thoughts are rubbish doesn't mean we need to believe them you know and it's just a thought that we have so if I have for example this thought that I'm I'm rubbish at maths or I'm worthless because I made a mistake is what a previous client said to me an eight-year-old little girl I worked with a couple of months ago mm. so it's that okay well let's take this thought I'm worthless at making a mistake. You know, how true is this all? Is this really 100% true that you're worthless? Like that means that you're terrible at everything. And, you know, I really challenged her on this. And she was like, well, no, it's not true. So even just asking that question and even for yourself as well, you know, how often, and I mean, a classic thing I hear children say, you never listen to me or I never get my own way, you know, mm. is another classic one. You know, and again, it's like, well, how is this really 100% true? So already that starts to challenge and change it. And then another question, you know, I mean, there's a few questions and, and processes I take them through, but one that's also really useful is, you know, what would I tell my best friend if they had this thought? So yeah. would I tell my best friend, yeah, mate, you suck, you're rubbish because you're worthless at making mistakes. I'm like, I'd never say that to my best friend. So what would you say instead? And that's, that voice, that compassionate voice, that as I tell the children, is that wise voice, the kind voice inside of us that we tend to use with our friends, but we forget to use that with ourselves. And, you know, it's about beginning to, to turn the volume up on that voice with ourselves to encourage us. It doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm like, oh, right, well, I'm brilliant at maths, let's say, for example, in the world of children, when maybe the reality is I'm not, you know, maybe the reality is I am really struggling. But I could tell myself, you know, with practice, you'll get better. Come on, you know, who can you ask for help? You've got this, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Already there is a shift 
And then because we're starting to think in that way, I mean, that starts to make us feel slightly differently, a slightly lighter, as I tell children, because you know, it is about, I always help children to like think, you know, is this a heavy feeling? Is this mm. a lighter feeling? And if it's a lighter feeling, how is that going to make you behave differently or respond differently? So I think it's about, but equally, it's about us as adults as well, going on that journey with children and begin to, first of all, begin to notice perhaps where are we getting in our own way and our negative chatter, you know, and the labels that we put upon ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves um, and really beginning to like really question some of that. And I really like that because that, I guess, just goes to show that all the all the research and the evidence is pretty clear on that, that children learn from watching what we do, yeah. not following what we say. So it's so powerful to be able to be vulnerable enough to model to your child that mm-hmm. I'm right with you here on this journey. I'm learning too yeah. how to how to ride the storm out or how to breathe through when I'm feeling like I'm really frustrated. I've worked briefly in a child and adolescent mental health service in Sweden before I moved over to the UK and and I remember very clearly how powerful the transformation was when this little girl I was trying to help to do exposure to overcome her fear of being on methods of transportation like planes, boats and so on mm. because they couldn't go on a family holiday and there was that sense of following what's purposeful and meaningful. I want to go on a holiday so I need to stretch myself, you know, stepping out of that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But that was far more powerful when her parent did that with her so challenging their fear of of heights yeah. so I had the parent you know climbing a big stepladder every day in the kitchen to show the child that look I'm doing it too yeah and I think we're really stuck in that mindset of us as parents we need to be this sort of almost perfect rendition of a human oh, that yeah. I have to have no no fears and and no worries and never be stressed and and always got my stuff together and actually that becomes very difficult to model upon Mm. because how will you show me how you manage your frustration how will you show me how you manage conflict with another person or what you do when you feel sad so I think you're very right that we have to model that and get right in there with them show them Without burdening our children, of course, we're not there to emotionally dump on our children. We're not using them as therapists, although they give really good hugs. Um, That's not what they're there for. But we can show them that, you know, this is what it means to be human. And that's, you know, the part of being compassionate Mm. with yourself is to understand that this is just my tricky brain that gets in the way and trips me up at times. Mm. So I really like the way you do that. And I, I guess kind of coming more towards the end of our chat, I want to think a little bit about going forwards because... And for anyone listening to this, if you feel a little bit sort of COVID out, uh, I hear you. I think we're all corona out. But there are, you know, current things going on for us. And we've had months of parents going through the stress of home educating rather than homeschooling or home learning. And that's been really stressful. And I've been hearing that across the board that parents have been putting a lot of pressure on themselves to try to complete all the assignments. Some children have done the things some children have actually been really disruptive and find it really difficult with Zoom calls. Mm. So now that we've had this sort of maybe some discrepancy on how much we've all taken on board, how much the parents have coped with being, you know, maybe the working parents are trying to juggle childcare with home learning and working. Where do we think of that leaves us now coming sort of into the next phase when schools are going to open again in September? What do you think about the possible discrepancies a lot of parents are worried about falling behind or not doing enough and you know I know where I stand on that but I think mm-hmm. they'd be really reassuring for the listeners to hear from you a way to take that pressure off 
it is going to be, I mean, we, we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but one thing I would say is, you know, I'm a former primary school teacher and I taught in London for 12 years. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the educational system now like I was. I don't know what plans they've got in place, but I know, you know, some teachers I've spoken to, there are some scaffolding, you know, the curriculum has been, I don't want to say adapted, but the teacher's job is to fill in the gaps. That's what teachers are trained to do, is to teach. And of course, you know, children are going to go back to school with very different, I don't know, want to say, I don't really use the word levels, but they're all going to come back with different experiences, you know, and given some have been able to access their learning and some haven't. And I think that that's absolutely okay, because right at the beginning of lockdown, you know, I was actually, you know, big on the thing of do what feels right for you and your family because we're mm-hmm. not we're not homeschooling that is a choice this is crisis management and if we're all in fight or flight and consistently stressed that's not a good thing so you want to try and bring that down as much as possible for to for children and for your you as a family to feel safe to feel nourished to feel grounded which I appreciate it's not going to look the same for everybody and there were so many stresses on the plates I think the the big thing here is like lower the expectations you know and if you're able to do a little bit of learning a day you know whether that might be 10 minutes or whatever it is that's absolutely fine I mean I I don't know what September is going to look like but I think you know there are some I have seen online there are some reintegration curriculums in place that schools are wanting to implement And I think, you know, it's just rest assured that you've done the best that you could do with the resources that you had in what was a very, and still is, a very challenging time. I hope really is that this kind of changes things moving forward in the school system, because I think now more than ever, you know, children have gone through one of the biggest lessons of life, and that is to learn to adapt and to be resilient. And that's not on the curriculum as a subject. Yet, should that be, you know, giving I tools, agree. you know, well, hence, hello, power thoughts. Yes, it should be. But um, yeah. but I think is a scope for different things to be taught, again, when it comes to mental health and mental well-being. Yes, certain subjects absolutely are important, like reading and writing and maths and science. But I feel that that gets so much airtime. And actually, what we've just been through, like even grief management, how to manage grief, not should I say manage grief, but how to deal with grief, because that's a very real reality for many children and families. But again, that's not and I don't want to put all this ownership on the schools, absolutely not, because as a, as a former school teacher, I know how full your plate is and you are trying to do the very best that you can. But I'm just thinking, you know, is there scope for slightly different things to be taught and perhaps in a different way? You know, mm-hmm. um, I was talking to a reception teacher who was saying that they had different groups of children come in throughout the week. And he said that actually... They had smaller groups, but it was that they got through so much more learning because there were smaller groups and less behavioral disruptions and things like that because they had smaller groups. And actually, it was quite nice to teach like that. So I'm just, I mean, I'm not saying that that's what's going to be happening, but I'm just thinking just the main thing is it's like lower the expectations, um, you know, and trust that that the you know that the, the the teachers are there to do the job that they're trained to do and you know I think you know schools are looking at what they can do to kind of create a reintegration curriculum when we go back well whenever that is you know whenever that is 
And I guess that's maybe the the kind of one of the really tangible takeaways to give to the listeners from this is that people have been doing the best that they could with the resources Mm. they had at at hand given the circumstances which is sort of paraphrasing what you just said but I think it's very powerful because it takes some of that pressure off that the school will be equipped for trying to scaffold some of those gaps and Mm. fill them in and it's also maybe there's a point of learning that that there is something more than just academic focus that there is also the emotional scaffolding we need to give our children to become you know kind compassionate helpful citizens and it's not just about learning to to read and write that that will do that but I think we've kind of talked a little bit about that now around informal ways of learning that maybe there will be points of of you know lessons and insights here for the schools to take away that the children will come back and they will have learned things yeah just through play through doing things with their poor um, poor tired parents who've just been fed up and thought we'll just bake something yeah and you know what that's actually you can do lots of things with that you know learning to add and subtract and weighing and looking at volumes and there's mm. lots of things we can learn not just arithmetic in the everyday life but also life skills and being kind and caring and looking after each other yeah so I just think well I want to draw a thing to a close thinking about how we then use play with <laughs> kids you know because this the, these informal ways of teaching and playing with them is you know what we know from the research and evidence is a great way for children under sort of age six or seven to actually learn anyway and maybe the UK school system has missed a trick on that of, of how some uh, reception and year one schools are, are set up with very formal desk-based yeah. learning um, without getting too political, as you can hear, I come from Sweden, so I'm like, learn through the woods. Um, but what would you say about play in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I think play is brilliant. And I think even as adults, you know, we've forgotten how to play. And play, I mean, I'm no play expert. There are brilliant people out there that are way more Um, understand the science behind play but even just how it makes you feel you know if you think about it it's that sense of freedom it's again following those breadcrumbs again of those things that light you up and those things that feel fulfilling those things that feel good Mm. Um, and I think and there's a lot that children can learn through the power of play and it not having to be so rigid and constructed and there's a right way or there's a wrong way um, because it's more it's just it's that sense of freedom and I think that's when we kind of give our brain the space to be open and new ideas come into play if I'm just thinking about it from an adult's point of view you mm. know so if I think of play for me there's a lot more that I could do but even things in terms of like the painting it's like sometimes some of the best ideas like inspirations come through those things that you're doing which is fun and exciting and and light lighter you know um Mm -hmm. so I think yeah you know it's really important and I think as well in South Africa they introduced reception when I left to come to London so I actually never taught out there but I think you know for that play was definitely on the when I was a child growing up we went to school a little bit later as well and there was a lot more play involved and I think you know we definitely I'm seeing that more and more so now in terms of the forest schools and Mm -hmm. other sorts of kind of, I want to say, clubs and things available for children. And I think that, yeah, you know, there's a real, and that's also like how children make sense of their world through play and build those connections and interactions with their peers and, you know, the imagination, you know, that using the curiosity in their imagination. So I think, you know, it really, really is important. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I did see something that there was some 
government official looking document going around about the importance of play when children come back to schools that it's not just starting with boom all we go with all the academics actually play needs to be a key feature on the curriculum for all children to re-establish those connections and to be you know feel like they're a part of something bigger and absolutely feel safe mm. um, we mentioned around the cortisol the, you know the stress response if we are constantly in a state of fight or flight because we feel we don't feel safe you know especially older children that have more awareness of what's been going on then it's going to be really difficult for their brains to soak up knowledge and learning because we're not really focused on that thinking brain that part of the brain that prefrontal cortex is sort of more switched off when we're going into more of our emotional brain so I think you're absolutely right we need to facilitate a soothing safe place for children to play and have fun and they will learn through that medium when they come back and realize that things will go back to normal eventually Mm. so it's been such a joy and pleasure to have (laughs) you on the show even without the Prosecco it's been lovely Uh, not even any chocolate no we had a lot of chocolate last time as well So that just gives you an insight into what we do to play. And if you would kind of let people know where to find you, where to see more of these fantastic tips that you have, where where would they find you? Yeah, sure. So um, obviously my website, so that's powerthoughts.co.uk. I'm on Instagram a lot. So that's just at powerthoughtsn for Natalie C for Costa. And I mean, on Facebook as well, Power Thoughts by Natalie Costa as well. So you'll mostly find me on there. Fantastic. And I'll put all of that in the show notes as well and give you a little link to uh, Natalie's course that she's just finished a round of, but I'm sure you open it again. Oh, yes. As there's been popular demand for Confident Me, yeah. which is helpful for children aged six and up, six to Yeah, 12. that's correct. Yeah, so that was a, um, it was a five-day course for, for, for children from six to 12, yes. Like yeah. looking at all aspects of what I teach, but in a kind of a shorter condensed version. So yes, there will be some more group stuff coming up probably beginning of the academic year so September-ish I'm looking to put some stuff together again so yes fantastic really looking forward to that and it's been a joy to talk to you thank you and now I guess practicing what we preach we'll turn this off and we'll have a little natter and then we'll have (laughs) some rest and pause and finish today so thank you everyone for listening thank you I really enjoyed this chat with my lovely wonderful friend Natalie Costa and I hope you did as well Now this is my first time recording a podcast and having a lovely guest on definitely helps because it becomes a lovely conversation. But I do try to practice what I preach, wanting to learn from my experiences to to grow and improve. So I would really appreciate your feedback. I would love it if you would leave me a review and also if you would share this podcast to your friends and family and anyone you think could benefit from listening to this to get a bit more pause, purpose and play in their lives. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.